We just finished up a series last week, and uh, so, you know, get online and check that out. I, I think it was, it, it was excellent. We did uh, four weeks on the garden life and living on the top, on the top. How many is living on top? That's about half of us. That's not too bad. That's good. That's good. And hopefully this morning after today's message, the rest of you will have your arm, oh, I'm living up on top too, because I believe that God wants us to live on top. That's what I believe, uh, that he doesn't want his children busted now it, and frustrated. You know, I, I'm, my kids, I have four children. I want all four of my children to be successful. I want them all to progress in life. And I understand and I know that they're going to go through challenges, that they're going to face things. But I want them to be able to overcome those challenges and to be able to press on and do what God has for them in their life. Amen? And that's what I believe God wants for all of his children. And if you have given your heart over to Christ, you are a child of God. Therefore, therefore, I believe, just in the same way, my heart and what my desires for my children, I believe God has those same desires for his children to live in peace. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and, you know, our women's ministry, they've been going over the fruit of the Spirit on uh, the coffee, tea, use me's on the, on the Saturday morning. Yesterday, they just had one, and they went over three uh, of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's so wonderful, because that's what allows us to live on top. In the journey of life, we've all made mistakes. We've hurt people, mostly out of immaturity, selfishness, and pursuing our own needs or acting out of painful emotions at times, mistakes in uh, those things that we make in bad choices, decisions, they usually center around three big things in life. Number one, relationships. Number two, career finances. You know, we got that category. And then number three, health and lifestyle. Our decisions and our choices usually fall, and those three are big things that, that we do. And sometimes we can make a mistake and we begin to feel regret later in life. We feel regret over that bad decision or that mistake that we've done. We can feel ashamed about so many different things. Maybe it's a, a bad sexual or a past sexual experience, a relationship heartaches, financial mistakes, misguided career choices. And you think, oh man, if I had only done this on the job and not done that and took this one over here, that position instead of this one. Or maybe it's, you know, a bad habit that you just gave into for too long and you still feel regret about it. Maybe unhealthy eating, which has led to an illness or whatever it may be. You may regret an accident that happened on a split second decision, something that was out of your control, something that wasn't even your fault, but yet you still feel regret about what happened. You can also feel regret what you failed to achieve in life. Some of the things you failed to achieve, like maybe having children or, or being married or those kind of things. The failure of having a happy marriage, being successful, rich or famous. Maybe you dreamt you were going to be famous and you were going to be an actor or an actress or something like that or a talk show host like Steve Harvey. 
You know, you were going to be one of those kind of things, but it didn't happen. It didn't materialize. You were going to be a radio jock. You were going to call the plays on the game when the sports thing was going, and that was going to be you, and that was your path. You were going to be the best. You were going to be Monday Night Football. Dun, 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 dun. Whatever it may be, we've all experienced bad decisions and mistakes. But despite what regrets that you might be holding on to, you are better than your worst. You are better than your worst. I was watching TV one time, and these two guys were debating a sports, uh, uh, sports thing. And what had happened is this guy, professional NFL player, he had made a bad decision in his life. And so one of the guys was talking about it and oh, how awful it was. And then the second guy began to talk. And he said, you know, this was a bad decision for this young man. Here he is. He's only in his early 20s. And he's made this life altering decision. But you know, I believe he can come back from it because you're better than your worst. And I went, (gasps) when he said that, and this was months ago, and I went and wrote this down, just that statement, you are better than your worst. Because, you know, when you hear certain things, you say, the Holy Spirit just leapt inside of me and and I was like, oh man, I've got to write that down. And as I began to ponder on this and began to pray, and seek God, he began to show me things in the Word. And he began to talk to me about different ones, uh, characters that we see in the Bible and words and different ones. And it is true that you're better than your worst. Before we continue, let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that our hearts and our minds will be open and ready to receive what you have for us here today. Illuminate what you would have us to see in your Word and show us that we are better than our worst And Lord, that we are victorious and we can live on the top with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, out of the 12 disciples, 11 of them were faithful to Christ. The one who was unfaithful, his name was Judas. And most of us know the story of how Judas betrayed Jesus. And out of probably the worst regret in the history of mankind, Judas went, and hung himself. And that's what I believe that the regret that he had, the shame that he felt from what he had done and how he had betrayed our Lord and Savior Jesus, he hung himself and took his life. Now, out of the 11 faithful disciples, if there was any one out of the 11 that knew about regret, it was Peter. It was Peter. Jesus foretells of Peter's denial of him, which is probably his worst mistake. Now, we don't know, and not everything of Peter's life was written down in Scripture. But Peter denying that he even knew Jesus was probably his worst mistake in life. It was probably a really bad decision that not just a little thing, a big thing, a bad decision to the point where it just altered his life. And I want to look at this. In Matthew 26, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now he's saying all this to his disciples. And then in verse 33, 
But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Jesus is giving all the disciples a warning of what was coming. He gave an opportunity for Peter to look at his own weakness. But Peter, he fell back on what he thought was a strength for him, his boldness and his courage. And as we see here, we can see his boldness and his courage saying, I'm never going to deny you. I won't do that. I would rather die. There's no way. Have you ever been so confident, so bold, and so, you know, just forceful on something, and then the bottom fell out? Kind of hurt your pride there a little bit. Imagine that. This was Peter. Peter would fail in what he thought was his strong area, courage and boldness. But Jesus knew Peter far better than Peter did. How many know that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves? (laughs) We think certain things, and we think things about ourselves. And Jesus is probably going, eh, no, not so much. Not so much. We overestimate ourselves, and that's what Peter did. He overestimated himself. And Peter was ready for a fall. Let's look at it. In verse 69 of chapter 26 of Matthew, we read, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you two are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which, was, which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Such an amazing thing that one of the things that I'm seeing right now that I didn't see even before, it didn't jump out at me. We know it even by the way you talk. Peter had been changed by his three years with Jesus. We know by the way you talk. Church, a little side note, it's not on my notes, but when it pops up like that, I got to say it. Listen to this. Do people know it by the way you talk? Do people know me by how I carry myself? Do they know who you are? So that when they're going through something and they've done that bad mistake, they've been at their worst, they know who to come to. Is it you? No condemnation, just understand. Just hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. Right now, do men and women around you know you by the way you talk? Not the funny Christianese like you walk in the office. I just want to give praise to God this morning. Amen, people. They're going to look like you lost your mind. They're going to look at you like you got a loose screw. No, 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 no. It's that you're not participating in the, the jokes. 
You're not going along with the gossip. You're not spitting out the profanity and the nasty things that they're doing. They know you by how you talk. Amen. Now, back to the message. Peter, his denial. To really fully grasp the magnitude of Peter's mistake, we need to know a little bit about who he was. The apostle Peter, which he became the apostle, he was the disciple at this time, but he became the apostle, may have been the most outspoken of the 12 apostles in Jesus' ministry on earth. He certainly became one of the boldest witnesses for the faith. He was born in 1 BC and died right around 67 AD. Peter was originally named Simon, but Jesus renamed him and says Peter, and Peter means rock or Petra. He was a Galilean fisherman and was the brother of Andrew. When Jesus first called Peter, he was trying to catch fish. And when the nets were full on the other side, Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. And those nets were full. And as he were, they were pulling it in because Jesus had instructed them to do that. Peter recognized Jesus for someone more than a common man. And we pick up when we read in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter immediately recognized Jesus as of God. Maybe not God yet, but he recognized him as of God. And he said, I am a sinful man in your presence. Depart from me. And then later on, we see that Peter had special insight concerning Jesus' identity, where he called him the Son of God. We look here in Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son son of man am? So they said, Some say that John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is awesome. How Jesus said this, and he said, Who do you say I am? And he said, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You are the one. And when you read the gospels, you'll see that Peter, he's the one who speaks up and acts first, mostly. You know, he's the one who always is speaking. Now, sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth. And that's what I like about him. I can do that too. Sometimes I'll be talking with my wife and then I say something and go, oh my goodness. You know, I need to just, uh, foot in the mouth. I can't believe I just said that. And that was Peter sometimes. He could just blurt something out. Blurt what was on his mind. Or just do something. Just act. But Peter was a man of faith. He was one who believed in Jesus. When Peter spoke up this time, it was amazing and it's important. Peter was the first to recognize Jesus as God. Now, right after this exchange, Jesus was talking about how he was going to, he had to die and he was going to go away and you can't follow me. And Peter, being that one, man, just speaking right up in his emotions and just went right away. Far be it from you, Lord. He's rebuking Jesus. No, no, no. That's not the way it's going to be. 
And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. So Peter, right after he recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God, he's rebuking him for something else, trying to hinder. But Jesus knew about Peter. He knew his heart. He knew that Peter loved him. And Peter was just trying. He was like, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to lose you, Lord. I don't want to lose you. So you have to understand Peter. Peter was not just anybody. Not just somebody following in the crowds with Jesus. He was close to the Lord. He was close. He was one of only three witnesses to the glory of God in the transfiguration. We read in Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, just these three, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make your three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, foot and mouth. We don't make tabernacles for anybody but Jesus. Anybody for God. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. In other words, Peter, you're talking about a tabernacle for these three. No, I'm the only one you worship. Amen? I'm the only one. But these three men experienced something that the other disciples didn't. Jesus didn't invite all the others. Now, many have speculated on why this is and all of that, but I believe that these three men were the closest to Jesus. We've got to remember that John was the one who Jesus entrusted his mother to when he was on the cross. We've got to remember that James, okay, he became, along with Peter, a leader in the early church in Acts. These were like the little close, tight inner circle with Jesus. Jesus poured into them different than he did to the others. You can see that in this example here. Peter was one who could put his foot in his mouth at times, but he was also one who was very perceptive. He was passionate. He was willing to leave all to follow Jesus right away. When Jesus said, come, I'll make you fishers of men, he left without hesitation. And we shouldn't forget that Peter was the only man, the only man on this earth to walk on water besides Jesus. That's pretty cool, I think. The magicians can try to, you know, say, oh, I can do it. But we know it's a trick. Only Peter walked on water. Amen? Ice doesn't count. All right. Dad likes that one. Growing up, that was Dad's joke. He walked on water like Peter, right? As it was frozen over. All right, now back to the denial. 26 verse 75, And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. At this moment of his mess up, his mistake, Peter remembered what Jesus had said. How many of us, when we've done something wrong, we remember and we just, on the inside, 
You know, the word says <laughs> to walk in love. The word says to speak kindly and to be kind. Right after we do that thing, you know, and it comes to our mind and we remember. This is something that happened to Peter right away. He remembered what Jesus said. This was undoubtedly, as I said earlier, Peter's worst. Worst. Do you think that Peter ever forgot it? No. It's impossible. Look at this statement. We may never forget our worst, but we can let go and live above it. Amen. That's good. We can be better than our worst by living above it. So how do we live above regret? How do we handle not only the regrets brought on by sin, but just mistakes, things that we've done? That we, you know, we just thought, okay, well, I'm going to buy this house or I'm going to sell that one or or I'm going to rent this one or I'm going to go here and it turned out to be just a mistake. Or this job, I'm going to take this job and I'm turning down this job over here and it turned out to be a mistake. Or I'm going to get in this relationship over here and it turned out to be a mistake. Do not look at your spouse right now. So, you know, we have these things that sometimes it may be a sin, but sometimes it's not a sin. It's just something we did and we messed up. And we know it. And we messed up and we have regret. And we didn't do anything wrong in many of these cases, but it still feels like it. It feels like we failed. So how do we deal with regrets later in life? How do we deal with that so that we can let go and not look back so much? Number one. How to handle regrets in later life. Emotional release. Emotional release. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Now, psychology experts will tell you that emotional release is a coping strategy for dealing with regret. That it's essential not to repress, but rather express painful feelings and get them out of your system and process hurts, disappointments, and grief. Experience fully your grief and remorse over your losses and the hurt that you cause others as well as bad decisions in life. These experts will tell you that most of the time, you, you, depending on how bad the thing is, you may not be able to do this on your own, that you'll need help in processing the painful emotions from people who are gifted in empathy, understanding, and compassion. One-to-one counseling, they may recommend, or group therapy. It's a way to to promote the inner healing and, and be able to talk it out and get it out. Let me say first that I largely agree with the psychology experts on the main concept of emotional release, but it's a little different for us as Christians. No amens on that one. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 26, 75 one more time. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus said, Before rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. God created our emotions for a reason. And when you're tied in, when your emotions are tied in with the Spirit of God, you feel a grieving when you do something wrong. This is exactly what happened with Peter as he remembered what the Lord, being in the Lord's presence. Yes, he hadn't been breathed on yet, the Holy Spirit, but yet in the natural, his natural man, as being around Jesus, he remembered immediately what he had done, how Jesus had prophesied to him and said, look, you're going to do this. And his emotions welled up within him and he wept bitterly and that was a release for him. Now, 
I don't believe that it was a full release for him. But it is something that he did, and God created those emotions for that very purpose. But see, this is where God comes in. I agree with the psychology experts when they say, I can't properly release my emotions on my own. I agree with that. You know what? I need God. First and foremost, look, I may need to go talk to somebody. I may have to do that. Another Christian brother, a Christian Christian psychologist, this or that, whatever. But first, you know who I'm going to talk to? I'm talking to God. There's nobody that's above him. And this is why it's no mistake that Peter wrote this later. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, he was talking here, and you look and you'll see that he's talking about submission and being humble and those kind of things. But there's also a greater principle here at play. When you humble yourself, and we remember Peter didn't, wasn't so humble when Christ was saying, you know, in the beginning, hey, you're going to deny me. And he was like, there is no way. I'd rather die for you. I'm not going to do that. He was, he was in his pride at that moment. He wasn't listening to what Christ said. Now, you would think after three years of being with Jesus, seeing all the miracles, all the things that Christ had done, that when Peter heard this, he'd be like, wait a minute, this is the dude that raised Lazarus up. This is the guy who opened that dude's eyes. And then there was those lepers. That was pretty amazing. And he's telling me, I'm going to deny him. I better listen. But did Peter do that? No, he was an emotional, passionate person who believed fully, oh, I love you, Jesus. I am not going to do this thing. There's no way. Peter later, he writes, he gives grace to the humble, grace, that ability to do that empowerment. He empowers you, empowers you to overcome. He empowers you as you're humble before him. And you cast all your care upon him. If you are living, church, hear me this morning. Hear me this morning. If you're living with regret of past mistakes and past sins and things that you've done, and it comes up in your mind, maybe it comes up in your mind several times a day. Maybe it's once or twice a week. I don't know. But if you're living with regret, cast your care on God. If you've got to get on your face and cry out before God and weep before him, do it. Give it over to him. Cast it all on him. The second thing, with after emotional release and we cast it all and we give it over to God. And maybe it still plagues us and we have to, like I said, talk to someone. There's nothing wrong with talking to someone else. Nothing wrong with that. Just as long as first we're, 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 we're talking to God. We're casting our care upon him. We're allowing him to come in and bring his healing by the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, praying in the Spirit is, is some of the best healing that you can get. Amen? The second thing of dealing with regrets later in life is reframing. Reframing. Now, the psychology experts will say after you've expressed your feelings, it's essential to reflect rationally on the trauma or mistake And think it through from a fresh perspective. View yourself with understanding and compassion and choose to forgive yourself. Accept a pardon for your mistake and stop 
the self-punishment. This is what the psychologists say. They also say to use mental assent or mental discipline to accept that it has happened and no amount of wishing it will change it. Stop tormenting yourself by turning over the painful event over and over again. Choose to forget it. Make a conscious choice to let go of regret and shame. Then they say to see the positive side of the trauma or mistake. What good has come out of it? Funny how good can come out of bad situations sometimes. Consider what you've learned from this pain and how you have grown and deepened and how others have benefited too. Now, church, I agree with most of this as well. You're not going to be able to forget it. You can live above it and, and put it down. So I don't agree that you can forget it. You won't. Lord knows I haven't. But it doesn't rule me. I rule it. And I do it because I've released it emotionally to the Father. And the second thing, I reframe. I reframe. Let me explain. After you've cast all of it over to God, God gives us grace to reframe. To look at it differently. To look at our past in a different light. What does that mean? He says that he has forgiven us of all our sins. So if it's a mistake that is a sin, we reframe it by saying, Oh no, oh no, I don't have to live in regret of that past sin because Christ has forgiven me. And I reframe it because I see my sin on the cross. What he's paid, what he's done for me. So I reframe my sin this way. Yes, I did it. I accept responsibility for that. But Christ has forgiven me, so therefore the enemy can't hold it over me any longer. That's it. That's how I reframe. On sin areas. On bad decisions where I feel like I've been a failure in whatever it is. And let me tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Oof, we're running out of time. But I'm going to tell you this one anyways, and we'll finish next week. I, I can't even remember if I've told this on a Sunday morning before. I don't know. Many of you know, because I've told in smaller groups, I've told this before. Carrie Ann and I are our first house. We lived at our first house, with, and she's smiling because she knows my greatest regret. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you my worst. Here it is. This is me being on the couch. You're the psychologist. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm telling you. It was our first house. We had, two, we had Joshua and Sarah at that house. And the market began to change. The market began to go up. I bought that house for $137, $7,000, whatever it was. It was cheap at that time. Houses weren't as expensive. The housing market started to go up. And the real estate agent began to talk to us about it because we were also thinking our, our family, we want to grow our family, we maybe want to get a bigger house. And we thought, okay, maybe we should look for something else. The real estate agent told us that you better sell now because the market's going to start to go back down. And because we were wondering, is this a good time to sell? You know, we didn't know. Is the market going to keep going up? Maybe we should wait. We did it for sale by owner. And on the first day that I had it out for sale, we had, oh, several calls. My machine, I had the, you remember the old answer machines, right? We had an answer machine. And my answer machine began to fill up every day <laughs> of people wanting to come and buy my house. That's how hot the market was. But I thought, well, 
we better go ahead and sell it now. We better do it because the market's getting ready to go back down. He said. So I sold this house. And I couldn't find another house. And we thought we're going to rent for one year and look around for a house to, to buy. You know, this was the advice. And as we were renting, I began to see the market keep climbing and keep climbing, keep climbing. After a year, the renters wanted to raise the rent. The market was so hot for rentals. So they were raising the rent on us and we couldn't afford it. We move out, we move in with mom and dad in their big old house. So now we're in mom and dad's house with this big house. A year after living in mom and dad's house, two years after I sold my house, my house sold again for $450,000. I saw it on the computer when I pulled it up. I was just curious as to what happened and what it sold. Immediately, I began to get sick in my stomach. I began to sweat. I was so upset. I literally went to the bathroom, and I was so nauseous. I thought I was going to puke. That's how bad the regret was. Now, Carrie Ann's shaking her head. And it just, it, did, it didn't bother her in the least. I have no idea how. I have no idea. I, I mean, I've, I spent days telling her, but you don't understand. If it, look, I couldn't function for a week. It was so bad. I mean, I just, I could not focus. I was so mad at myself for making the mistake of selling that house. I thought, man, if I had just stayed there two more years. But, but, I had to get before God. I had to cast my care on Him. There was a reason, another reason we left that neighborhood. There was a really bad situation, which I don't have time to go into all the details. But there was a dog that kept getting out. And he was a big, she was a big one. She was protecting her babies. And I had to dance around the trash can several times with this dog. And I'm not kidding. Several other neighbors were upset. We would call animal control, all this, talk to the owners first. It never changed. The dog kept getting out. And I've got little kids riding their tricycles on the corner right across the street, you know, is this house with this dog. And I could see one of my children with that dog coming. So you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I moved. I had to go back and I had to think. We prayed about it. God gave her peace and God gave me peace and said to move. Said to sell. I don't know why I moved, but I had to move. That was it. And so now when I, when I, after that week of just all that regret and all that stuff, that first week, the Lord reminded me of the peace he gave me on selling that house. And so I gave it over to him. And now it's gone. See, I can talk about it and it just, it doesn't matter. And every now and then, let me tell you, it comes up. It comes up. And I have to put it down back in its place. Because, see, I would think, and see, here's how the enemy works, and here's how, you know, in the natural we work as well, our natural man. Oh, think of what that extra $300,000 would do for you right now, that if you had that, and and all these voices going on in my head. See, you thought you were the only one. (laughs) Oh, no. 
See, you got those three biggies. You got the relationships, but then you got the finances and career. And finances, man, I've made some doozies. I ain't telling you the other ones. And see, in those areas and those things, you know, we have to let it go. And the regrets, when we look back, maybe it was a bad investment. It was this or that. Or maybe it was a sin, a bad habit. We've got to reframe it and put it under the blood and put it under our feet where it belongs. That's how I reframe. And yeah, maybe I can see the good in it. But you know what? I don't care if I don't see the good in it. I don't even care about some of the mistakes. Say, well, why did that happen? And oh, well, God, well, maybe this, maybe that. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. I look at my rearview mirror. I don't even see it anymore. It's gone. I'm moving forward. I'm releasing my regret because I'm better than my worst. I'm better than that. In Mark chapter 16... Oh, you know what? We just don't have time. We'll get to that next week. Amen. Let's all stand. Mm. We're going to talk a little bit more about reframing next week. And I'm going to tell you how I would reframe Peter. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. And we didn't even get to the third one, so we'll get to the third one too. I knew that would be next week though. So we're going to get the third one on how to release regret. How many here under the sound of my voice, can say, TJ, I've got something. Maybe it's more than just a something. Maybe it's several things. I got a few things. And, and it keeps coming up. How many can say that? There's several of us. Chris, you're better than your worst. Believe that. I, I, I'm just, oh man. Church, we got to get this. Because we're better than our worst. It's good to see you this morning. I, I'm glad you're here listening to this. I believe God got a plan for you. I believe God wants to do something in your life. You're going to make good choices. You're going to make good choices. I believe that God wants to bless you. I believe that. Hallelujah. All you young people, you guys, young ones, the good choices, they're coming. Where it feels like no matter what I do, I'm making a bad one. Today's the last day. We got to believe that. Now, that doesn't mean I won't ever do something. But no, 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 it's different. See, when the Holy Spirit leads, you stop making so many bad mistakes and you start making better decisions and you have less regret to deal with. But this morning, God wants to deal with the bad regret right now. He wants to deal with those things that just keep coming back up. He wants us to release it to Him. And church, you don't have to release to Him every day this thing. No, 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 no. I release it and I'm gonna, I get it all out. Peter wept bitterly. He didn't have to weep bitterly for months and weeks and all that and years. All he had to do was weep bitterly and let that emotion come out and give it over. And then from then on, he could live on the top. Amen. He could live on the top. Next week, we're going to talk about how God restored Peter 
God wants to restore you, those things that have been lost, those things that have happened that it seemed like, oh, it steered me in the wrong direction and now I can't have victory in my life or I can't have the prosperity in my life or I can't have the good things in life. No, God wants to restore all those things to you here right now. By faith, I can do that. Amen? How many is ready to pray? Keep your hand up right now. Let's do it, Father, right now. Just give it over, church. Think of your worst right now and say it to God right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, I give it over to you. Every bad decision, every bad mistake, every bad habit. Though I spent years doing this, I spent years doing that, the wrong thing. I give it over to you now. Lord, I thank you that your blood covers me. Lord, I thank you that I am not a failure. I thank you that I am victorious. Lord, in you, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that I can walk in your spirit and have the fruit of the spirit. I can have that peace that you said that passes all understanding. I may not understand how you can forgive me of that thing, but Lord, I just put it aside right now, and I thank you for your peace peace, Lord, coming on me that I can walk in on a daily basis. I don't have to give into my past. I put it in the rearview mirror and it's gone. All regret is gone right now in the name of Jesus. And I proclaim and say that I am living on the top. Everyone under the sound of my voice, just say it. I'm living on the top right now in the name of Jesus. No longer the enemy can plague me of things of my past. No longer will I bring it up in myself. I say right now that I have peace in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen.